This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Welcome, everyone. It is December 19th, and I am saying that sentence for the second time today because my guest and I have been talking for the last half hour, and yet I forgot to hit the record button. Or I did hit the record button, and it didn't record. Or there is just some sort of mad genie inside of my computer because I've been having one of those weeks. You know what? It's two days away from my vacation. Clearly, I need one. My brain is fucked. I'm very excited to have my guest that I have on today. Even though he and I have just spent the last half hour having a most amazing conversation, we're going to have an, another amazing conversation just for you. <laughs> my guest today is Mark Russell. Mark Russell is a musical, comedic genius. Long before Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert, there was Mark Russell. He was joking and singing about the absurdity of politics over the last 40 years. He started in a little piano bar on Capitol Hill, right across from the lawmakers themselves. As he used to say, I started at the bottom and managed to work my way down. He began knowing little about politics, but was an immediate hit because he could find humor in anything. He loves poking at the political big wigs. Mark Russell, as you may know, spent 30 years on PBS. That's how I used to watch him. In his bow, bow tie and his straw hat at the piano with a big American flag on it. And from the outside as a kid, I used to think, is this guy, who is this guy? What is this guy doing? Because, you know, comedy to me was a guy standing up. But Mark... Mark could poke fun at everybody because he knew how to make us all laugh at ourselves. Mark, welcome back to my show, even though you were just on it for the last 30 minutes. Well, it's good to talk to you again, Kelly. It's been a long time. A lot has happened since our last conversation. The government did not close. They, they thought it would. I know. They were thinking about it this week. And we, we were wondering, well, if it closes, how are we going to tell the difference? <laughs> and uh, it, it's like when Ed Sullivan died. Uh, Ed Sullivan, uh, some of your listeners don't know, was a very boring, taciturn host of a very popular variety show. He was a zombie. He was a robot. And when he died, people said, how can they tell? <laughs> so, it's good to be with you again. And and by the way, don't blame your technology or you're having a bad week or your brain. It's me. When I have anything to do with technology, I'm computer illiterate. Uh, the only reason I have a flip top, and by the way, it's state-of-the-art flip top, has <laughs> bells and whistles, including a catheter. Not many people know that. And so the only reason, what I love to do with the flip top, I get in a crowded elevator and I pull out the flip top and I talk in and I say, okay, Listen to me. What did you do with the body? <laughs> so it's it's my fault. I uh, I really believe that. Um, speaking of politics today, um, what I mean, you're a man who, I mean, this is what your job has always been for us. Is you would take all of America. I mean, PBS is the most you know, kind of safe place. They don't want to, they don't let you swear. You know, they want to have a broad audience that can enjoy. So you really learned how to 
have a cast a wide net and really talk about everyone in politics and on the left and the right and the independents and everything. And, and so I'm just so curious, you, when you started doing those PBS shows, what, who was president then? Uh, uh, Grover Cleveland, I think. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they really, what, what, what uh, really hangs them up even to this day is, is the huge support they get from the federal government. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of people prejudiced against PBS because of that fact. Right. And so they, you gotta be bipartisan. You gotta be this, you gotta be that. And that, that's all they, I mean, they didn't, they didn't lean on me terribly much, but the whole thing, well, that's how they defended me. Right. Well, he's bipartisan. He's an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> and uh, so I, I made an attempt. I think when the show started, I think it was, uh, uh, yeah, Jerry Ford. He, uh, he had uh, just pardoned uh, Nixon. Wow. We did a, yeah, that was it. We did, we did a pilot. The day, it was, it was September 8th, 74. Nixon had resigned a month earlier. And uh, so they let a month go by. It was on a Sunday. We're doing this pilot in my hometown of Buffalo, and uh, and 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 Ford pardoned Nixon. Nobody knew it. I didn't know it. The audience didn't know it. And so we shopped the show around around the country, sent it to PBS stations, and there was no reference of Ford pardoning Nixon. And they said, well, this guy's a political satirist. He doesn't even know about uh, Ford Party Nixon. And that's when we decided it's got to be live. It can't be oh. the day before. It's got to be literally live. It can't be even, uh, you know, the late night shows. They're not live. They're done at about 530. Yeah. And then they're aired at 1130. And so that's how uh, that's how that happened. And it was, uh, yeah, it was that very day. And, and wow. so... The show got going. It took about a year to get all ready, and so we started uh, <clears throat> seventy-five, and it ran for uh, it ran for thirty years. And and what and so, was and, yes? What Pardon was me. your Watergate song, or did you have a few, or did you what is what was your take? I on had it? a lot. I had a lot of them. It was um, it was uh, so. so so I remember they all they all had German names Haldeman Ehrlichman, Heindings, um, <laughs> right. and I I I had a parody. It was a Lily Marlene was a German song the GI sang in World War One, uh, and and Marlene Dietrich sang it, and so I would there's Haldeman and Ehrlichman and Kissinger and Klein like that, and it was. Uh, don't ask me to do too many of these because we get into the area of you had to be there. You had to be, you had to be there at midnight, half, half in the bag, uh, smoking, and uh, yes, yes. At the, at, in the mo you had to be in the moment. This yeah, is yeah. not in the moment. Yeah. This is not. This is not even in the other moment. This is in the new moment. <laughs> anyway, we're in the sec we're in the second moment here. We are. We are living a second parallel life right now. Absolutely. That's right. I, I just, I'm so blown away that um, you, you know, that the, the whole thing was, was kind of conceived a month after the, uh, the, the Nixon thing. That's so fascinating to me. 
And so, so yeah, so you, I mean, for me, Nixon was really the first president that I was aware of as a kid. Uh, I had a poster on my bedroom wall. Uh, it was a picture of Nixon and it had a bunch of squares over it. And it had the amount of squares for his, um, his term and the amount of days in his second term. And uh, every day we hated Nixon so much in my household. You would, you know, day one, you'd cover the first square day two, the second. So by the time, um, you know, his, his thing was over, he, he would be covered. Well, of course, you know, he ended up resigning earlier. I wish I had this poster. Uh, so all the squares didn't end up getting covered, but, uh, but he was, he was the first like understanding of, Politics. I remember all of my my mom and my dad and my uncle and aunt that summer of Watergate hearings. We were all up in Versha, Vermont. My uncle and aunt worked and lived at a, a summer camp up there. They were running it, and uh, all the adults were huddled around the little black and white TV. And all of us kids were like, you know, I think we were ten, eleven. We didn't know what the hell was going on. But um, so so yeah, and and it's so interesting because that's. The, that was like the beginning of your uh, the bookend of that TV career part for you. Yeah, the, uh, the Watergate became so much a part of uh, of my act. It, 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 by the time Nixon resigned, the whole show uh, was about Watergate, and so the night he resigned, I had a, I had a party of friends, a bunch of uh, fellow Nixon haters, and. Um, I mean, we. This was party time. He hadn't announced yet, and uh, and I'm doing interviews with uh, radio people uh, around the country, and um, and so Nixon makes his speech, and after it was over, it was an incredible change of mood. Everybody instantly sobered up, mm. quietly put down their drinks and walked out of the room. Wow. The party was over. And for me, it was the old cliche. I had to go back to writing my own material. And um, But when people bring up Nixon now, I say, God, I miss him. Oh, oh my God, Mark. That is so true. I remember even late in the Bush, um, the you know George Jr. Bush era, and his foreign yeah. policy in Cheney. And I remember, you know, thinking about the statesman Nixon, you know, the foreign policy guy. I mean, Kissinger, a nightmare. But um, but I remember saying to someone, I'm nostalgic for Richard Nixon right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that the, there's that nostalgia for George W. Bush. I mean, we saw this father's yes. funeral. And uh, my gosh, I mean, he, he uh, got us into Iraq, but the people, well... You know, the Saddam Hussein tried to kill his dad. That was the re that was the rationale. Uh, the, the story is that um, <clears throat> when George W. was inaugurated, and, and Cheney and Rumsfeld said, "You know, we got to go after Saddam Hussein. Your dad missed him." Mm. And uh, and George Jr. says, "Well, yeah, yeah, he tried to kill my dad." Which it, there was an assumption that 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 was true. Wow. And so this is before September 11th, remember? Yeah. This is nine months before September 11th. But uh, now he has, 
he survived. We're, we're so distracted now. We yeah. can't focus on anything more than more than 10 minutes. If I was playing now, if I was on PBS now, and PBS said, you got to be bipartisan, I said, are you kidding? I would say, are you kidding? There have yeah. been 6,000 lies. What am I going to do, write a song about each lie? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, but no, I mean, the... The first one I wrote, it was in and this is in 2015. This a year before the election, mm. and I've I'd been aware of Trump, uh, and, and I and I didn't like him. I had nothing, no question of, oh my gosh, is he ever going to run for office? No, no, just his personality. Yeah, I just didn't like. Him. And now he's doing well in these early debates in 2015. And so the setup was, uh, I will take the high road with Mr. Trump. I will not stoop to his level. I will deal with him with sophistication and nuance. Sophistication and nuance. Oh, the Donald is a schmuck. T-R-U-M-P. He's high in the polls. That's just our luck, says the GOP. He drove away the women and the Mexicans, too. He'll carry the biggest, well, who? do with the Donald we are stuck O-S-H-I-T and so that was the first one are you still there and um, <laughs> we have to do it over again uh, so, so then now now he's, uh, he's president so there he is January 20th 2017 the marine band <clears throat> strikes up hail to the chief Hail to the chief as he moves into the White House. As the mannequin Melania stays up in the Tower of Trump, she took a look at the house that went with Donald's job and said, oh, I could never live in such a sleazy dump. Three million votes behind the one who was more qualified, elected by the Russians and hacks beyond belief. His hand is on a copy of his book, Art of the Deal. So raise your arm and a salute to the Groper in chief. So that was the beginning. That was the beginning. Now I wrote, I wrote a number of songs with that. Raise your arm in a salute. <laughs> Last summer, Louis Black said to me, "He says the Nazi salute." He said, "I don't even do that." <laughs> <laughs> so then, now he's president. A while we let a few months go by, and then uh, this was another parody. <clears throat> It's been several months and we've all had a chance to assess our commander-in-chief after careful reflection. This is my honest belief. Crazy. The guy we elected is crazy. Maybe a second opinion is due. Yeah, he's crazy. And that is my second opinion regarding his marbles he's missing more than a few and so it goes on and on from there and it went on to write about 10 more 10 more songs so there's your uh, there's your bipartisanship <laughs> oh my god yeah i mean what the hell mark what the hell is going on in the world that that we that this guy, like, I still, I mean, it's it's two years in, we're starting the third year, you know, and it's, and it's three years in because the campaign was a whole year after, before that, 
And, and it's like, I, I don't understand what, I, I thought Americans were more savvy. I mean, maybe it's just my own, maybe I'm not savvy enough to see that people are, are really duped by this show that he put on. They were. Uh, the Democrats, well, yeah, Hillary won, the, Hillary won the, the popular vote. It wasn't a case where she was completely out of tune. It was that electoral college. I mean, I, yeah. I, I envisioned the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, 1787, and they're under tremendous pressure, and the delegates all have to unwind, relax, so all they go into town, get rip-roaring drunk, they stagger back to Independence Hall two in the morning, and they dreamed up the Electoral College. <laughs> but the uh, Democrat, there was a midterm maybe about ten years ago where the same thing was said of them. They lost, they lost sight of the common person. Yeah, they lost sight of mom and, uh, mom and pop sitting around the kitchen table. Yep, and and they lost sight of uh, of uh, religion, and then all of a sudden, Nancy Pelosi starts quoting the Bible. And it was, it was so hokey, so obvious. Horrible. I so, remember that. Yes, I'm thinking, what is she doing? She, well, after all, in Matthew 6, 1924, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and so I had this bit about the two the Democrats get together and, and uh, one says to one, have you heard about these places called churches? <laughs> so, <laughs> That that was the perception in this last election, was that Trump tapped into that, and if you're sitting around the kitchen table and you, and you you don't know you can't you can't pay your bills, and so uh, you'll say yeah you're uh, I'll I'll recognize you we're going to make America great again, and um, these are it's totally un, it, it's understandable, yeah and 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 over the over history each party. It gets sloppy and they neglect they neglect to tap in. Well, to, and and I think the yeah, and I think historically, I mean, you know, you're 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 right about that. I think you know, populism rises because of this this you know this working class, this ignored working class, and and they they tap into the rage of that while not really. Um, you know, honoring or serving those people in the end. I mean, Donald Trump has really no interest in serving the working man. I mean, it's the working man has never even crossed this man's mind before. And, and, and so, you know, it really is, you know, I see this, you know, I, I get the anger at the establishment. I mean, I'm a lefty progressive. I've been angry at the establishment since I came out of my mother's womb. You know, it was what I was taught to be angry yeah. at. And, and so, you know, this whole corporate money, you know, it's so, for me, it's so much about money and, and money in politics and, and corporations having all the power. And it just seems to me that, you know, until we really wrestle with that in our democracy, um, which, you know, I think some of these young Congress women, especially coming into the to the new Congress this year are, are ready to take this on, you know, finally. So yeah, I, I just hope they don't overdo it. Um, I, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's like 
the Iranians, they overthrew the Shah. Right. And I, I, uh, and, and then they, some, said, some of my best, some of my best friends are Iranian. And so they, they rejoiced. They were getting uh, their, their families back in Tehran saying, Oh, thank goodness. The Shah is gone. And then six months later, they said, this is worse under yeah. the Ayatollah. Yeah. This is worse. And so, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know. They're going to, they're going to, the Democrats in the House, first of all, Democrats in the House, uh, very, very simple. They will impeach Trump. Yep. And he will be acquitted in the Senate. Yep. Case closed. Yep. And so they're going to waste all that time and they're going to jump in there with uh, New York Congressman Jerry Nadler. He will be chairman of the house judiciary committee and then you have this uh, this this uh woman who hasn't even been sworn in yet uh, alexandria ocasio cortez and um she's making trouble already she's she's giving fox news material she's going to be the new uh, the new poster child she's going to be the new pelosi reference she'll be, she'll be the new before you, but the good thing about the, but the good thing about her, though, is that she is bringing up this thing called the Green New Deal, which I think is really what we're going to have to figure out how to make sustainable environmental things um, work for the economy and put people back to work. If, if, it, can, if it can marry infrastructure with sustainability, um, there's a chance for the planet and there's a chance to help the working class have a whole new direction of things that in America that we can actually make and do, which would be yeah, an incredible but thing. They'll be, they'll be so busy trying to impeach Trump uh, that they won't have time for that. Yeah, I, I, they're, I, I they're can, just going to going to go roughshod. They're going to go over that, and some bridge will collapse. Yeah, and they say, "Hey, we have to do something about infrastructure," and then just calling it green infrastructure is, I don't know, uh, forgive me, but it's kind of precious. Uh, but, but I'm, you know, I'm just trying to look at it from both sides. Yeah. And, uh, I, I the, hear you. Uh, you know, the Democrats have every ability to screw it up. Getting back to Trump though, I think we've learned a lesson here. Never again, never again should we elect a man who has never had a drink in his life. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Mitt Romney, but <laughs> that, that's the way it is. <laughs> yes, yeah, that that's clearly clearly it. <laughs> oh my God, um, Mark, what do you see the role of? You know, I mean, you've been a, a man who's speaks truth to power always. You've always been someone pushing up against the status quo as all comedians do. Um, and, and why, why aren't any people on the right funny? Uh, well, there, I don't know what happened to Dennis Miller. He was always the one I, when this question came up, I, I don't say what about Dennis Miller, but, uh, I've seen him lately. I'm sure he's out there working. And uh, so there are uh, um, Alan Simpson, Senator Alan Simpson is a Republican. He's a conservative Republican. And he is 
very funny. He he mm-hmm. was he he was Mark Twain at that funeral the other day mm-hmm. of Bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are some, and and the idea of me speaking truth to power, I was always suspect in the biz. Uh, because I lived here in Washington, and mm-hmm. so uh, the, the uh, they'd say, "Well, Russell hangs out with politicians and and all of that." So uh, I was uh, I wasn't pure, right? I, I I I do know some of these guys, and uh, and and they always. They always, you know, they slap you on the back and say, yeah, we need this guy to keep us honest. <laughs> I don't know what effect any of this is having on what's going on. Mm-hmm. We are so uh, informed. We're, we're almost over-informed. Let yeah. me give you an example. The other night, uh, Stephen Colbert started his monologue. The first thing he said was, Christian, Christian Cinema has just been elected to the Senate from Arizona, and the audience erupted. They exploded in cheering and whistling. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. A Christian Cinema, not exactly a household word. <laughs> now we flash back years ago. I'm. I'm trying to get on the Tonight Show, and I'm auditioning in the offices there. And Jack Parr, you know, and I said, "Well, what are you, what are you going to talk about?" And I said, "Well, uh, Robert McNamara." And they said, "Hold up, you got to stop and tell them you you got to say Robert McNamara, Secretary of Defense." Okay, all right, keep going. All right, Winston Churchill. They said, "Hold it." <laughs> <laughs> You've got to stop and say Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of, of Great Britain. Great Britain. So that, that's what it was like. They, people knew who the president was. They were a little fuzzy about the vice president. Right. Christians. Right. So that's how we, we know everything now. I got this. Do. This is we such know a, everything and we're improving nothing. Yeah, this is such a great point, Mark. This really, really yeah. is that we are, well, we are over-informed. We are, we've made everything political. Everything's been politicized now. You can't yeah. have a conversation about bananas without it being politicized, you know? And, and people, and then there's people who don't. And I think everyone who knows a lot and are over-informed are also really suffering for it because they're all miserable. <laughs> I'm still thinking about the bananas. Uh, we, we are, we're, we're a banana republic. I, I, I had a song. Yes, we lots of bananas. A banana republic, aren't we? Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. And But I, uh, a year ago, Trump ruined everybody's Thanksgiving and everybody's Christmas. You talk to people, family arguments. Yes. And I noticed this year there's not that much of it. As not as much. Yeah. Of it now. I think people so you, are, people people are burned out. People are tired. That's right. They're, yeah. And I say, how, how'd your Thanksgiving go? And they say, well, we just we just talked about sports and family and yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. So. I, I I I you know I. It is. It's an interesting thing because 
it in some ways the whole Trump campaign and then Trump became, becoming president, you know, for, for both sides, it feels so life or death, you know, like if, you know, if we don't get our way, we're all going away. And I think part of that is just the times we live in anyway, but I, I don't think, yeah, I mean, it's like people feel like if they're not as informed or if they're not politically active, that they're, that they're turning their back on, you know, humanity or the future or something. And there, there is something to say about being um, maybe a little less informed or a little less, you know, you know, involved constantly about this stuff. Well, you can be informed, but you can also uh, converse about other other things. I guess. Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, as we speak here, we're we're wallowing over uh, whether Michael Flynn is going to whether he committed treason, and they said, well, uh, the judge uh, has decided not to uh, uh, accuse Michael Flynn of treason, and and the family was there, and they all breathed a sigh of relief, including Flynn's son, uh, Benedict Arnold Flynn. And uh, oh, that worked out fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you know. I think a part of it is is that um, this is what used to be called the twenty four seven news cycle. I now call it the sixty twenty four seven news cycle because it seems like every sixty minutes there's a new news yeah. cycle. Um, but I, yeah, I think once we got twenty four hour seven news on cable. Um, and we all watched that first Iraq war um, on our TVs in our living rooms in real time. I, th I think yeah. that really changed the nature of how we engage with politics. Yeah, that's there's the, the first all news radio station was here in Washington. It was in the very early '60s, maybe late '50s, and people said that's ridiculous. All day long on the radio news, and then CNN came along, and that was just as outrageous. We, a lot of us thought CNN was a Canadian railroad. You know, we didn't know what that. And <laughs> they, they they were in a little. They were on a second floor building in 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 Georgetown here, and and now they, they've got a building the the size of the Pentagon practically. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and they, uh, every hour they just come up with the same, well, now here's, uh, here's, here's, here's Chris, uh, and here's, here's the other Chris, and then here's Rachel, and they, they the same, the same thing. And, um, people wallowing that, well, I, I, I watched to a certain point, but, um, then I, uh, then I get out my, uh, my, my beads. But <laughs> <laughs> I got from Mardi Gras, and so uh, I try to. I try to do. I don't have to do this. I. I don't. I, you saw my last show. It was last yeah. last uh, August up there in the, in Chautauqua. By the way, you know the um, the Comedy Center. It's uh, we were talking in, in this little town of Jamestown, sixty thousand people, and there's the National Comedy Center. They they want to be the and you're on the advisory board. They want to be the Cooperstown of comedy. Yep. And for years, the Lucille Ball Center, Lucille Ball was from Jamestown. And then also the Robert Jackson Center 
And that's not comedy. Uh, he was a uh, Supreme Court justice, and then he became the chief prosecutor at the trial of the Nazi criminals in Germany. And as you recall, you were there when the opening of the Comedy Center, they had a seminar on freedom of speech with Louis Black and Lenny Bruce's daughter. Right. And it wasn't at the Comedy Center. It was at the Louis, is at the Robert Jackson Center. So they're in this room discussing freedom of speech in a room whose walls are adorned with scenes from the Nuremberg trial. Yes. <laughs> that, was a, that was a bizarre scene. So there was Robert Jackson, and he was presiding over the fate of Nazi criminals. And now you have, ta-da, Robert Mueller <laughs> presiding yeah. over the fate. And you know where I'm going on that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. You there? Yeah. Uh, so just to and just to circle back around to where we were talking earlier when I thought we were recording and yet we weren't. Yeah. Um, I just want people to know a little bit about um, some of the influences, some of the people and um, experiences you had um, that brought you to being someone who, you know, there's, there's a magic about you, Mark, that you, you know, when you get on stage, first of all, there's a joy in watching you perform. You just bring so much joy to the process, even when you're singing about, like, you know, the darkest times, you know, or the craziest political things. Um, and, and you're just, you are this natural entertainer. And, um, and you were talking about how your whole family was, yeah. uh, was involved in, you know, loved comedy, loved music. And they were very supportive. My, uh, did you remember that scene from, I know you remember it because we talked about it an hour ago. <laughs> the, um, from Mr. Saturday Night yes. with Billy Crystal. And the Billy Crystal character, when they were kids, and his brother would entertain the relatives in the living room. Well, that was us. That was my brother and me. And that scene came up in the theater. My jaw dropped. And that's us. And we would get up. My father would get us out of bed. We there in our pajamas and bathrobe. Me on the piano. My brother on the ukulele. And we're clowning around the living room uh, in front of these uh, half-of-the-bag adults with their cigarettes and shots and beers. And uh, so they were very supportive to the point where they would take us to nightclubs in Buffalo where they'd have these uh, comedians and these jazz groups, they take us to these nightclubs on school nights. Can you imagine? Uh, I just, I love nights. that. I love that they it, were so enthusiastic about that. It just warms my heart. Yeah. And, and so there was, there was, there were the comedians and there would be these, there, there would be uh, Spike Jones and a city slickers. They'd play this zany off key music and they'd be <clears throat> there would be these this uh, big theater in Buffalo. And the audience on a Tuesday afternoon would be lying down the street to see Spike Jones as if it was Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah. So, so there. So I'm and, and and I had a band in high school. We played the Friday night dances and we played the ethnic weddings. And my, my first my first gig was uh, at an Italian restaurant owned by. Uh, the bass player's uncle 
And, uh, and we played there. <laughs> it was New Year's Eve. I was 14, and we knew 10 songs. We kept playing the 10 song over and over and over again. So then, so that was that, that was that influence. And, and, and Mark, then, Mark, when, yeah. did, when did you, what gig did you have where you, you know, because being a kid, when we watch people on stage like that, and we have some sort of our own dreams to do that kind of stuff. And what gig was it where you were on a stage and you realized that you got to live the dream? Did you have that moment in your career and that moment in your life? Well, yeah, when, when I would start playing bigger venues mm-hmm. and I would play colleges and theaters that seated 1,500 people. Yeah. Or you know, then the, the Chautauqua Amphitheater, which seats five thousand yeah and that that was uh and then and i and i got these jobs because i had the show on pbs that's what that that led to uh to those to those things and the and the colleges and they would be they would be the kind of college where they were open to the public so yeah you'd have students there but you'd also have faculty and you'd have people in the town right i remember there was one college that was all students. I couldn't believe it. There were three, 3,000 at Lehigh College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And I'm backstage, and the president of the college, he said, uh, you got 3,000 uh, students. I said, 3,000? And they're all students? Wow. And so in a little self-deprecation, I said, well, how much are the tickets? A quarter? <laughs> he, he said, no, they're free. <laughs> Now that ex- that explains everything. So uh, yeah, so it was it was playing these big venues, and and then I uh, I did the I did the Tonight Show twice, and I did the, the Merv Griffin and all those. And but anyway, they all they all came out of uh, they all came out of PBS. Did no you, question. Did, did you do the Tonight Show with Johnny? I did it with Johnny when he was in New York. Okay. And uh, and then I did it with. Um, in 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 Los Angeles, um, with uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank. With Jay, on her, Jay Leno. Um, no, the the woman. The, isn't that awful? The woman. Um, Joan Rivers. No. Joan Joan Rivers. Yeah. Yeah. When she yeah. was when she was guest hosting. Um, she was guest hosting. Yeah. Um, did you ever get to meet any of your heroes? Your your comedic heroes. In your life, well, the first one. Well, I, I met I met Bob Hope, and he uh, mm-hmm. he 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 would stay at the Shoreham Hotel, where that was my home base in D.C. And he would come in. I'd hand him the microphone. He'd get up there, and and after doing this a few times, he's I'd get him. Hey, let's get Bob up here, and he'd come up. I hand him the microphone, and he'd say, "I'm so tired of saving you." <laughs> and uh, so How's one night. He said, um, "He said, listen, uh, my guys uh, wrote this joke. I'm just not comfortable with it. It's just not my style. Uh, but you can have it." I said, "Well, what's the joke?" He said, "Well, as you know, Henry Kissinger is in Paris for the Paris peace talks, trying to end the war in Vietnam. That's the setup. And then you say Henry Kissinger's in the Paris peace talks." 
when did you ever hear of a German ending a war? <laughs> and so, so I did that. I gave him, you know, attribution and, and so forth. And then, uh, and I got to be friends with Mort Saul. He was a tremendous, uh, mm-hmm. tremendous influence. Yeah. And, um, and, and over, over the years, huge influence. I did see Lenny Bruce once at the Village Vanguard. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I was a little late. The, uh, he was on his decline. It was the scene that I, the night I was there, was portrayed perfectly uh, in the Dustin Hoffman Hoffman yeah. movie Lenny, yeah. where he's uh, wearing the raincoat and no shoes and a stocking feet, and it was a very embarrassing wow. night for the audience. That's yeah, but I, I I did see him. Yeah. So. Um, speaking of Lenny's trench coat, uh, for those of you listening right now, uh, to speak about the National Comedy Center again, there's a room in the basement called the Blue Room, where you get to experience all the comics that did quote unquote blue material. Uh, my dad's in there, Richard Pryor, uh, and Lenny's in there. There's a bunch of Lenny artifacts in that room, and his trench coat is in there. And it it felt like to me when I entered that room. Um, it felt like, it felt like a religious artifact, you know, that kind of sacredness to it. It was so interesting for me. Um, yeah. And wow, to see him on stage, but during the decline that that's hard. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's so interesting. Well, remember, remember right next to the raincoat is a framed copy of, uh, New York governor, George Pataki's pardon. Yep. Of Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce had been convicted yep. of obscenity uh, a number of times. He would wear that raincoat in case he was arrested on stage. Yeah, he knew. And, uh, <laughs> I think he's, uh, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of uh, the amazing Mrs. Maisel. I think the character of Lenny is quite, um, quite spot on in that. Yeah, he, was, he was very warm. Uh, he he my he met my mom and my mom was a hostess at a Dayton club called the Racket Club, which was a, a dinner a dinner theater kind of yeah. a club that was on the circuit in the Midwest. And Jonathan Winters yeah. came up there and Phyllis Diller and um, and Lenny would come through there. And my mom knew Lenny before she even met my dad. And of course, Lenny was very warm with both my parents and and helped my dad out a lot. You know, got him his manager and. And there's a couple of famous stories about mm-hmm. that. But, um, yeah, it's funny. The other night I was watching, I hadn't watched The the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel yet. I just, some part of me was resisting it. And then I watched the pilot. Yeah. And it was really hard for me because that, you know, those, those, um, those, those rooms, those, you know, those folk rooms in, in the, in the village, was where mm-hmm. my parents, my parents were there during those era, and it really just brought up all this grief, missing my parents so deeply, mm-hmm. uh, and then to see yeah. Lenny because Lenny, that's where my dad met Lenny, was in those rooms. So it was like a really kind of a weird. I was trying to watch the TV show, and then this whole personal history of mine walked into the room. It was so strange, um, but uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm so I'm so glad you got to. I just love that Bob Hope thing, though. I think that's just so great that he would like We're hanging out with Bob Hope in the room. Yeah, it's just so yeah, wildlife. Yeah. Yeah, really. He uh, there was an HBO special from the uh, Gerald Ford Library in in Grand Rapids, and 
and Hope uh, got me on there. He it was he, he emceed this thing, and there was a it was a big star-studded show, and so uh, so Hope's people came over and he said, "Listen, uh, come in the dressing room here. Bob wants you to look at his cue cards so that you guys aren't doubling up on material." <laughs> Right. So, so I'm sitting there and they're showing me his cue card. So I said, no, nah, take that joke out, Bob. No, that's no good. Take it out. I'm doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's going to, that's going to work. Right. So anyway, that was, that was a, that was a nice, uh, that was a nice night there. Yeah. I hope it was very good. Very good to me. Oh, no good. question. That's good. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was good to a bunch of people. I know. Um, mm-hmm. He was really good to Phyllis Diller too. When I spoke with her, mm-hmm. he, really, he he broke her really. He gave her a couple of big shots and uh, was like one of the only people to do that. So, um, yep. you know, uh, for for a mainstream guy, he was I heard a pretty good guy. So so you're retired now, Mark. You're uh, yeah. Are you writing songs at all? I do. I put them up on, uh, my wife puts them up on one of those things. And, um, I haven't, um, I haven't written any in the, in the, in about a month. I, I started quoting, I, I did a song, uh, where Trump said, I can pardon myself. <laughs> That's out there. And, uh, another one, uh, where he said, we are infested with refugees those are my two uh recent ones i don't know if you've got them or not but uh I'll, I'll, i will look for them and maybe we'll yeah. we'll, we'll play them here uh, yeah. and uh i look forward to seeing you again this summer at chautauqua institute uh and i'm inviting everyone who's listening to come up this summer to Jamestown and Chautauqua area to come see the National Comedy Center. And uh, during week six of the Chautauqua Institute, they will be doing a a programming there on comedy and the National Comedy Center will be co-producing that. And you will definitely see Mark and I hanging out on the ground. Yeah, and and in the audience. Now, week six, is that also the Lucy Fest where they... They bring in comedians to play in the various theaters in Jamestown. Yeah, yeah. The, the week after the Chautauqua programming this year will be the the Lucy Fest, which I think is like August fifth yeah. uh, through the tenth. Okay. Yeah, they bring yeah. in big headliners, and um, Lewis Black and I are always hanging out because we're both on the board of advisors for the Comedy Center right. Museum, and the museum right. is great. And um, one thing that um, I saw you do, Mark, was you went into the National Comedy Center. There's, uh, besides all of the amazing displays and the multimedia experience, I mean, it's like a two or three day experience, but there's also some interactive things you can do. One of which is you can go and do comedy karaoke, which you can pick someone else's set and they play it for you once, and then they scroll the lines like they do in singing karaoke, and you get up on a stage in a little quote-unquote nightclub setting. There's even a bar there, so people can drink, and you, and you can drink to get courage to go up. And I saw a clip of you, Mark, doing my dad's uh, Modern Man, and it just it thrilled me so deeply um, and just made me so You saw happy. that. I did. Yeah, I did well, see it. Yeah, they, they put it up on a screen. And uh, 
and the the attendant there, the uh, docent, said, uh, "You're the only one who ever picked that bit to do," and uh, and I was familiar with it. It was actually uh, your dad recorded that, obviously, but he also did it at the National Press Club one time. Yes, it was uh, it was it was at a lunch. He stood up there at the head table and uh, did that. That's a uh, it's a brilliant piece. And uh, but I was. I've never seen it, but um, my thing of it, I didn't know you had it as well. Yeah, Allie, uh, your wife, as everyone knows, Allie is, is Mark's wife. She shot a little video clip on her phone of it and sent it to me. Uh, recently, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's so great because I think about your wordsmithing and your joy of language and your play with language. and um, And so it was such a great piece for you to do because it was like, you know, those of us who love the the verse of it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was a um, it was an honest, sincere homage uh, to your dad. As I met, I was there in the Playboy Club for, when I met when he was working with Jack Burns, and some people had brought in old Joe Kennedy, Jack Kennedy's father, probably to ogle the bunnies, and. Uh, and it was out in the hallway. There were there were two rooms. There was a big room where Dick Gregory was, and then your dad and Jack Burns were in the library. And that was their, I guess, their closing night. And I got there a night early because I was in the library the night after. But uh, so it was out in the hallway, and a crowd had formed. And Joe Kennedy, the old man, sort of poked your dad in the chest and said stop making fun of my son and uh that was a chilling chilling moment there wow mark you were there that's insane yeah yeah that's a famous story in our family yeah i mean yeah my dad got in trouble in fact uh you know hefner really gave my dad shit for that and um yeah wow yeah there was um yeah my dad never did well with the playboy club people he, he was up in um, uh, one of the ones up in the Midwest, uh, was Wisconsin or one of those areas, the Playboy Club up yeah. there in the rural area. Yeah. And uh, my dad was starting to get closer to just transforming into his, you know, 70s version of George Carlin. And he was doing yeah. a lot more edgy material. And the um, he left the stage and the management called him in his room and said, you have to leave immediately. We cannot ensure your safety. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I was never that brave. Never <laughs> that brave. <I> <laughs> uh, but he did very well with the, with the court. I saw him one night with the, uh, the National Home Builders Association. These were wow. people, people who build houses. It was probably one of the last, Shows he did with a suit and tie. Yeah. And he, he killed, you know, he did the hippy-dippy weatherman. And then, uh, and so with those corporate groups, I was always safe. You know, I mean, I, I tell people, to, to Rotarians, I was hip. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was cutting edge at a Kiwanis once. But I didn't. Let it go with that. I didn't have the nerve to take another step. I, I, I drew. I, I did have a goatee for a while in '71, but I, I just hated it. I shaved it off, and pieces of, uh, of French onion soup dropped out of it that had been lodged in there. 
six months. I just, no, the bow tie worked, you know, and that was it. So, got yes. me out of jury duty a number of times. That was it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. oh, um, thank you so much for doing this twice. <laughs> well, I enjoyed both of them, Kelly, and um, I just want to close on a serious note. As we are approaching the holidays, the holidays of your choice, Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah. And on Christmas Eve, people all over the world will be asking one question. And that question is, will Jesus bring the pork chops? (laughs) Oh, Mark. Oh, thank you for that. That's very, very kind <laughs> and beautiful. You made me tear up a little bit. <laughs> Laugh and cry in the same moment, damn you. <laughs> well, I love you, kid, and I'll see you in the summer. Absolutely. We'll see you in the summer, and thank you so much, so much okay, for doing thanks, this. Kelly. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting this podcast all year or the half a year that it's been on Patreon. Thank you for supporting by just listening. And I want to wish everyone um, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah that happened last week. Um, what do you say? Um, happy Kwanzaa, Merry Kwanzaa? I don't know how to do that. Um, but really, I love this time of year. It's the solstice. Uh, I love that we go from darkness to light. And so I really hope for all of you that you find the light in your life that keeps lit all the time in a world that can feel dark and confusing, but know that you can really choose. You can choose to focus on the darkness or focus on the light. And it feels like for most of us that the only way to get through it is to focus on what's good and real and joyful in our lives. So I hope you all have a happy new year and I will see you in January. Thank you. Two little boys were comparing their buttons while they were at play. One boy said, my button's bigger than yours and I'll blow you away. How much time will linger? Whose tiny little finger will blow us all away? Oh, the country's in trouble, I think. We could all be dead in a wink. One tweet from Mar-a-Lago could blow up Chicago. The White House could use a good shrink. It's a geopolitical mess. Whose button is biggest and best? Donald's working the phone while his brain is on loan. He belongs in a home for some rest. Oh, what an embarrassing scene. Over buttons is this truly obscene. Before we're all dead, hide under your bed and have a happy 2018. Wait, here's one more twist. A new book and it can't be missed About a bunch of loose cannons and the loosest is Bannon And Donaldson cease and desists Oh, what a happy new year is this And 
everyone over at Fox are all pissed. So now is the time, now is the time, now is the time to resist. <laughs>